Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends around the country who are wondering who is next to go on the COVID list. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at The Advocate, The Times Picayune, and bet.nola.com. And this is Datitude Post-Christmas, episode number 39 for a Monday, December the 27th, 2021. Did everybody have a great Christmas? Hey, man, did Santa bring you everything you want? He's got a couple more gifts to give you, right? A few more gifts, really? Saints host the Miami Dolphins tonight in the Caesar Superdome on Monday Night Football. And what an interesting night we're going to have. Well, at least we hope it's interesting, because if it's not, it's probably bad for the Saints, right? Ian Book making his first NFL start, actually not just that, making his first NFL appearance in a regular season game. What do we expect from him? The defense is hurting. All kinds of players on the COVID list, including the, I mean, arguably the two key players on defense, Quan Alexander and, more importantly, the captain of this team, Demario Davis. So there are going to be some interesting We're going to have some names to be throwing out at you tonight. Pete Werner. Zach Bond. Those are your two starting linebackers tonight. Uh, Guys they signed off the street are going to be suiting up and probably seeing play in time. It is going to be an interesting night for sure. Um, So what do we expect? Look, the Saints have, have traditionally played their best when their backs are up against the wall and, frankly, in this kind of scenario. Now, I mean, you could say that they played their best last week when they were as close to full strength as maybe all season long, except for Jameis Winston. But, I mean, they, they know that they have to win. And let's be realistic here. Saints fans don't want to hear this. But realistically, the Saints have to win out. I know it's an AFC game, and if they're going to lose one, this is the one to lose, blah, 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 blah. You can't count on that. If the Saints don't win tonight, their playoff chances go from, right now ESPN has them at about 50%. I saw another one that had 40-something percent last night. But if they don't win tonight, you have to think their playoff chances are realistically in the neighborhood of 15 to 20%. They're not going to win a tiebreaker with the Eagles. And they, I think they win a tiebreaker with the Niners if the exact right things happen, which you can't really worry about at this point in time. So let's be realistic, and Sean Payton knows this. They have to find a way to win the game tonight. 
get these guys off the COVID list and win their last two against Carolina and Atlanta. That would be quite a feat to win your last five games in a row, but it's certainly in the realm of possibility. Miami has won six games in a row, but during that six-game winning streak, the opponents that they've defeated have a record of 7-23. and So it's not exactly world beaters, and that's, that was before this week. The Ravens lost, the Jets won, so you can add another win. Uh, the Jets won, that's two wins because they beat the Jets twice over that stretch. So, in other words, the Dolphins are no, are, are no world beaters. It doesn't take away from the significance of tonight's game. And I've said it all year long. If the Saints find a way to make the playoffs with this bunch of this concocted group of players who have, how many different players have we seen in and out of the Saints lineup this year? They're on their fourth quarterback. Fourth quarterback. I said in the beginning of the season, we would see Ian Book by week 16. But I didn't think it would be for this reason. I thought it would be because the Saints were out of it, honestly. And they just wanted to see what they have. Well, they're not out of it. And they get to see what they have, but by a forced hand. I've spent a lot of the past week, and I'm not comparing Ian Book to the guy I'm about to talk, to talk about. But it's, it's a similar scenario. I've spent a lot of the past week watching Man in the Arena. I'm no Tom Brady fan. But I am, I guess amazed by what he has been able to do throughout his career and obviously to be still be playing at this age and at the level he's playing is just insane again he would have, he would have never I mean had he played 30 years ago he'd have been long gone because they don't hit the same they don't allow hits the same way they allowed back in the day had they Joe Montana probably would have played till he was 44 who knows who else I mean, Steve Young had, what, seven concussions throughout his career. So it's a different game now than it was then. But I'm still amazed by Tom Brady, and I've spent, I've only gotten through, I think, four episodes of Man in the Arena. But watching it reminded me of where he came from and why you can't count a guy like Ian Book out and people say, oh, I'm just hearing it all over the place. That never seen never seen the guy play in a regular season game, ever. Ian Book's a bum. You know how many times I've heard, I mean, I went to, I go to, I mean, those of you who listen to the show know I play poker on Sunday nights. And most of the time on Monday nights, obviously I'm not playing tonight. But you know how many times I heard that last night? Oh, Ian Book's terrible. They're going to need to win it seven to nothing. How do you know? How does anybody know what they're going to see tonight? You think Patriots fans were excited back in, was it 2001, when their $100 million quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, got hurt and they got to bring in Tom Brady? Who the hell is Tom Brady? That's what Willie McGinnis was saying on the show. I mean, if you haven't watched it, and again, I'm not finished with it yet. It's not over. They have, I think, at least one or two more parts to it, but it is outstanding. It is outstandingly done. Outstandingly, I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is today. And it goes to talk about 
They drafted this kid, Tom Brady, out of Michigan with their sixth-round pick. Oh, by the way, Ian Book was the sixth-round pick. And they never expected him to see the field anytime soon. They had just signed Drew Bledsoe, the number one pick in 1993, to a 10-year, $100 million contract, which at the time was unheard of. Now that's nothing. But at the time, it was unheard of. So Drew Bledsoe was their future. He was going to play quarterback for the Patriots until he was 37 or 38 years old. And he takes a shot to the ribs. He gets knocked out of the game. He's in la-la land. They got to bring in Brady. Brady comes in, wins the game, and guess what? He never really relented the job again. That was it. Drew Brees was, I mean, Drew Bledsoe was, was gone. He remained, he became a backup and then ended up going to the Buffalo Bills and to a couple other teams throughout his career after that. Are we going to see that tonight, the first of that? Probably not. But you don't know what you're going to see is the point. So, you know at times that I've been called Derry Downer and I've said things that people don't want to hear. I'm a realist. And I realistically think we don't know what the hell we're going to see tonight. And you got to keep an open eye. And the best thing that could happen for Saints fans is win or lose. Ian Book plays well and he wins the right to see what we have over the next couple of weeks. Because we know there isn't a quarterback on the roster that even, ha- that even has a chance to be the future at that position except for Ian Book, even if as slight of a chance as it is. Taysom Hill's not going to be the starting quarterback in 2022. Trevor Simeon's not going to be on this roster in 2022. We don't know where Jameis Winston's going to be. Maybe here. Maybe not. The point is tonight, as big as it is for the playoff chances in 2021 or the 2021 season, it maybe is just as important to see what we have at quarterback. Could this kid be the future of this team? It's possible. Whether you want to hear it, whether you disagree, whether you agree, whatever, it, realistically, it's possible. They didn't draft him in the sixth round to think that, oh, we're drafting our backup for the next 10 years, or maybe he can do something. Sean Payton drafted this kid because he's a winner. He's six feet tall. He doesn't have the greatest arm on the planet. Who does that sound like? Hmm. Sounds like someone that played here for 15 years. Again, I'm not comparing him to anyone that is going to be in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. I'm just saying those things happen. And they actually they happen fairly frequently. So let's see what we have and it's going to be just intriguing to see how he responds to his first NFL playing time 
on the biggest stage. It's a holiday weekend. A lot of people are still off. So it's not going to be just Saints and Dolphins fans watching this. You got Tua Tungavaloa on the other side. Obviously, a national championship winner at Alabama. And now he's had his share of injuries and has a chance to bring the Dolphins back somewhere. But it's 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 a great matchup. And I think they'll they'll you wouldn't think normally Saints Dolphins would get great ratings, and I'm sure about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, ESPN was like, Oh great. Saints Dolphins. Ugh. Nobody's gonna watch that crap. Now all of a sudden, a lot of people are gonna watch that crap. Can the Saints even come close to duplicating their performance? on defense that they had last week against Tampa Bay because they're going to have to. They don't have to shut them out. But the Saints aren't winning a shootout. So the Saints need to figure out a way to keep this in the upper teens or lower 20s. That's how they're going to win this game. If they're going to win this game. Coming up in just a little bit, um, my friend and broadcast partner for the last seven years, both at Varsity Sports now for the last three years, and before that here at NOLA.com when we uh, did a game of the week, Jim Rapier, who was a staffer here at the Times-Picune for well over 20 years, and has covered just a little bit of everything. So he'll be coming on, and no one knows more about Saints history than Jim Rapier. So we're going to kind of bring history into it a little bit. And try to put this game into perspective. Because we all know the COVID news. But I want to ask him if he's seen a team, a Saints team in a similar position to where they had to win maybe not five games in a row to finish the season, but had to win a bunch of games to get in the playoffs. Spoiler alert, they have and they have. But it was a little different. Maybe not so much different because the team that um, we talk about at the end of our segment um, actually kind of is a little bit like this team. Heavy on defense and not so great quarterback play. So it would not be unprecedented. So he's coming up probably about five more minutes. But I do want to talk about the Saints' playoff chances. I mean, it's what's on everybody's mind. And I, and I touched on it already. But going through, obviously the Saints can't win a tiebreaker with Philadelphia, so that's out. They can win a tiebreaker with the 49ers, who have the Texans this week, and then they close out with the Rams, who could be still fighting for the division, more likely fighting for what seed they're going to get. We don't know what the Rams' mindset will be. We don't know what the 49ers' mindset will be. But realistically, the Saints' chances of making the playoffs change drastically, in my mind, with a win or a loss. If they win out, from what I understand and what I see, if the Saints win out, they're in. I'm, I'm no... I, I was never great at these scenarios, but just going through and looking... They win a three-way tiebreaker with 
they'll have the seventh spot if the Eagles, Niners, and Saints all went out. They would all be ten and seven, and the Saints would win, would knock out the Niners by I think course of common foes or something like that. Saints and Niners just themselves against one another. I think the Saints win that tiebreaker. So. Theoretically, the Saints can get in if they don't win tonight, but it's very unlikely. Sean Payton knows this. You're going to see, I would be shocked if you don't see the Saints focused and ready to play. The problem is, when you're talking about a Brian Flores defense, they're seventh against the run, and I think 24th against the pass. Who does that sound like? The team we played last week. So you're counting on Alvin Kamara to do something, but the problem is everybody knows that. You got a rookie quarterback making his first start. He's going to have to make plays. They're gonna ha- he's going to have to make plays to win. So that's where we are. So I'll put it the percentages overall at about... Yeah, 40%. It's better than it was two weeks ago, which in my mind is about 5%. They beat this team tonight. I got to say it's, what, 70%? That you beat Carolina and Atlanta? Atlanta's loss yesterday. I mean, Atlanta wins yesterday and... uh, but had to fight to beat the Lions. Very well could come down. I mean, Atlanta's still in it slightly. So it could come down to that. And you wanted to, obviously. Going to be an interesting game tonight. I'm not going to ramble on anymore because Jim Rapier has, I mean, we always have great conversations, whether we're on the air or not on the air. And... um, uh, whenever I need to know anything about what happened in the past or things that have happened, I ask Jim. So let's ask him on the air and bring him on. See what you think. Welcome in to the Datitude Podcast, my broadcast partner of the past seven years, and more importantly, very good friend and um, someone, a colleague that we've worked together for a quarter century or so, Jim Rapier. But more importantly about Jim Rapier, I don't know anyone who knows less important knowledge about the New Orleans Saints than this man right here. So we figured today with all the players that we're going to have that we don't know, um, it was a perfect day to have you on who knows all this useless information. Well, Jim, I want you to know that um, <clears throat> my first thoughts when, uh, excuse me, I'm, I get very choked up with that incredible intro you just gave me. <clears throat> excuse me. All right. So when I found out that Demario Davis um, was not likely to be playing in the game, and then then you bookend it with the news on Quan Alexander, which I think came out yesterday, my first thought was to give Joe Fetterspiel a call. You know, uh, we got to get Kovac. someone out there. At, oh yeah, Doc Kovac, old Doc himself, who uh, University of Kentucky grad, who I believe also Joe Fetterspiel was a Kentucky grad, if my memory is serving correctly, but. Um, I was thinking, you know, give Doc Kovac a call. Maybe he could come make a house call 
Uh, Play for the Saints and cure, you know, cure the team all in one shot. Uh, maybe sure Tommy Myers of... is hanging around. <laughs> I mean, oh, uh, Tommy Myers, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, the way that he used to tackle would, is pretty much outlawed in today's uh, football. Uh, in fact, um, the moment Tommy Myers would step onto the field, I'm sure that'd be a personal foul penalty just for stepping onto the field. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, what do you mean? You know, obviously you and I, you know, people might not know our names as well as they know the Jeff Duncans of the world, but we we follow this team as pretty much as closely as anyone else, and uh, we have for a long, long time. And have you seen anything like this throughout the history of this team? Um, really, maybe the history of any team? No, I, I mean, when you talk about the whole COVID thing, the league has never seen anything like it. As far as a whole bunch of no names that nobody knows about going onto the field, well, that was pretty much our existence up until Jim Moore became coach, right? <laughs> no doubt about that. Name, the biggest name that we ever had on the field, of course, was Archie. And then in the late 70s, with the teams that went 79 and 8 and 8 and 78 and 79, they started to get a few names out there the Henry Childs, West Chandlers. Uh, Conrad Doblers of the world, and um, really no one on defense. So they were all offense back then. But, um, yeah, it, it, I've never seen anything quite like this before. Uh, you have a, a, a pandemic that's hit the league, and, and, and coming off the biggest win of the year for the team, the biggest win of the year, I mean, my God, could the timing be any worse? And it, I uh, mean, actually, you could, you could argue, and we've, we've said this in the show, I mean, it's one of the – biggest regular season victories in the history of this franchise, whether they go into the playoffs or not, just the way that it happened. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the only other defensive performance, and because I, I saw that um, I, I, you might have tweeted it out. I can't remember who tweeted it out. Um, several people tweeted it out, actually. After the 9 nothing victory against Tampa Bay, where does this rank in the top five of defensive performances and I started going through my, my, my Rolodex of memories. And uh, I remember my freshman year of college uh, around Thanksgiving, a really good. That was Eric like 1971 Dickerson. or so. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. Come <laughs> on. Uh, but uh, uh, I remember, I think it was freshman year of college. Uh, no, Bum, Bum Phillips was. So this would have been sophomore year, maybe sophomore year of college, heading back after Thanksgiving or something like that. And they limited a Eric Dickerson team. Um, they, I mean, Dickerson almost had like negative yardage uh, in the dome. The Saints didn't score much. It was a very similar type score. Uh, and then I remember uh, it would have been our Jim and you and I are the same year, uh, maybe our senior year of college. Uh, a John Elway Denver team coming off a Super Bowl yeah, that's right. uh, appearance the year before, they just annihilated them on national it's TV. Like Forty-two like to 40, nothing. 42 nothing, and yeah. I mean, it was just, I mean, they made John Elway look like, he, yeah. you know, <laughs> he was running for his life on the it playground. Sure did. So, Well, I mean, it's, you know, they're going to need a similar defensive performance. Obviously, Tua is not Tom Brady, but uh, you can't expect a defense to hold down uh, uh, anyone like they held down last week, and Although I will say this, uh, going into my championship game in fantasy, it would really be nice to say that my whole season trying to get to the championship is coming down to the Saints defense having to stop Tua Tungavaloa. 
That's what that's that's <laughs> where we are right now. So, and I got um, your, your biggest your biggest challenge. Your biggest challenge is not just for your team, but pronouncing his name correctly. I mean. Well, you know, uh, being in the broadcast booth, the one thing you got to do is pronounce names correctly. So we, we've had a few doozies throughout our time. Um, Has that ever stopped Harry? Did that ever stop Harry Carey? I mean, come on. Well, no, but, he, you know, I don't bring Budweiser in the booth, but I've thought about it. <laughs> Some of the games that we've had, I've definitely thought about it. Maybe we'll do that next year. I mean, Justin March Lillard and Ethan Westbrook, do you know these guys? Ethan Westbrook I've heard of. Okay, well. March Lillard. Um, I keep thinking of uh, Matthew Lillard, the actor. I keep thinking of uh, Damian Lillard, the basketball player. I wanted to call him, like, when I was getting ready for the show, I kept calling him in my head Damian. I'm like, his name is not Damian, you idiot. It's Justin. Okay, so I have to, um, I have to admit that when I saw um, last week on see, Christmas Eve was Friday, so Thursday, uh, we were with um, – my my, uh, my sister and her her husband and kids are in town, and we got to spend the afternoon with uh with all the kids on Thursday, and with I combined with our kids. So my wife and I was taking them out to, taking them out to lunch and went in separate cars. And I start hearing about the reports of players being out, and I kept having you talking about no names. I kept going back to a Thanksgiving Day game between the Washington Redskins and the Dallas Cowboys, and I guess it was Stallback goes out and Clint Longley comes in Jeez. for the Cowboys and absolutely just goes off. And Danny just, White wasn't I mean, even there yet. Danny White was not there yet. I hadn't got graduated from Arizona State University. And Clint Longley goes off, says after the game, and a week or two later, he wants to fight for a starting quarterback job the next yeah. year with Dallas. Right. Yeah, that'll work. You, yeah, he's you a- know how that worked? He got shipped to San Diego. <laughs> I was going to say, well, go ahead and try to replace the Hall of Famer. But, you know, these guys, you know, we, we go through the, the COVID list, and I mean, most people listening probably know this by now, but it's, we don't know if any of these guys are going to come back. I mean, there's a chance that a, a couple of them come back, and um, more likely the guys we found out the, the, the furthest away. So you can pretty much expect the, the Mario Davis and Quan Alexander will not be playing tonight because we just found out about them. So they're not going to have time to make it back. Jawan Johnson and Troutman are the only two that I've seen that are likely to maybe come back. Likely to maybe. Uh, right? I like that. Likely to maybe likely come back. Likely to maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's why he's the best color analyst in, in the business, boys and girls. But uh, you're talking about linebackers for tonight. Uh, Zach Bond, Andrew Dowell, and Pete Werner. I mean, and Bond and Warner. Now, look, I like what I saw from Bond in, in the preseason for sure. Um, and I think he has a lot of potential. Pete Warner, we've seen on the field quite a bit um, as sort of a, a, almost a Roman Harper type, type player. Um, so those guys fit in well. But, I mean, you're talking about replacing, to me, arguably, and it's, it's incredible that, that Demario Davis didn't make the Pro Bowl. That's a whole new uh, but to me, you're arguably one of the top one, two, or three linebackers in 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 the NFL. And uh, well, not one because the the kid from Dallas is pretty darn good. But uh, you know, and Quan Alexander, who obviously has made a huge impact on this team. You, to me, linebacker is just the toughest position to replace, especially when you have two key guys at the Saints have. Well, you know, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, what it comes down to is 
Athletically, okay, there's no denying Demario Davis is just a monster. I mean, he can go sideline to sideline, but it's what he's got upstairs that really makes a difference. The same thing goes for Quan Alexander. They, they always seem to be in the right spot at the right time. There's nothing they haven't there's seen no before. Doubt. If there's one silver lining, um, it's what you mentioned at the start when you were framing the question or the topic, and that is, thank God Bond has experience. He's played some, and thank God Werner's been in this year and played. The only question now is, can you go from th- can you go from thinking to being reactive and just be getting to go full speed? Uh, Yogi Berra said something once, and everyone laughed when he said it, but it's really true. He says you can't think and hit in baseball. If you think, the pitch has already gone by you. You have to be reactive. It's got to be instinctual. Everything Quan Alexander and Demario Davis does right now, because of their experience, it's all reactive and instinctual now, so they get to play at full speed. The whole thing with Warner and Bond is they've got all the potential in the world, and they're very athletic. And I really love the way Warner tackles. A very good tackler, like you said, Roman Harper-like. The question is, how fast can they play where they don't have to sit and think and analyze which would slow them down, how reactive and how fast and how instinctual can they be? That's the key to the whole thing. Don't think, me. Just hit. Yeah, ex- ex- you know what? Don't think, me. Don't think. We're, we're, yeah, that's got to be the advice, though, tonight. You, don't you think that's what they're telling them, to just go out there and play, just play your game and don't think about, you know, I mean, obviously you want to think about your assignments and where you're supposed to be and all that. But I think once you get out there in the field, tell them to just go. They're going to make mistakes. It is what it is. Just go out there and fly around and do your thing. Uh, Lou Holtz was asked once, uh, and this goes right into what you're saying. Lou Holtz was asked once, would you rather have a fast player that makes mistakes and isn't in the right spot or a heady, a player not as fast but always knows where, the, where he should be? He goes, give me the fast player every time because he can make up for the mistake faster than that. <laughs> it's true, so though. play fast. And yeah. we, you see it at every level. I mean, and you and I are used to doing high school games together, but, I mean, it's it's no different, to honestly, in the NFL. I mean, if you're flying around and you're making plays, I mean, just go out there and do it. Go do your thing. And, you know, um, it. Uh, you let, let's shift it to offense for a second. I'm not talking about tonight's game, but to go hand-in-hand hand with what you're saying. Lance Moore used to stay after practice all the time and all the time and all the time working with Drew Brees and working with Drew Brees. And so did Colson, really the whole receiver group. Brees was notorious for staying after practice with any receiver that wanted to, to the point where it became instinctual. Okay, the, the, the defender has leverage on a certain side. This way, I'll put the ball right there. They knew. So it got to the point where Peyton never had to simplify the offensive calls. He would give Breeze two plays every time. Breeze would walk up, look over the defense, and either say, kill, kill, we're going to the second play, or let's go ahead, what we're going on the first call. After that, if it's a pass play, so many of those routes were option routes where the receiver had to read how he was being covered, and Breeze had to read it too, but it was instinctual. They weren't running the route going, okay, he's here, here. It all became field, it all became instinctual. They were playing at a much different speed than because they had done it so much practice, and it goes hand in hand. If they have to simplify the defensive calls to where it's just like you said, Jim, go out, 
and play full speed. Don't worry about the mistakes. Just play full speed. That's what they're going to have to do. Jim Rapier here on the Dadtude Podcast. You know, it's, it's, it's to show you the state of where we are going into tonight's game against the Dolphins. We are now, what, 12 to 15 minutes into this interview, and we haven't even mentioned Ian Book. And a kid making his, his NFL debut on Monday Night Football in a game that, quite frankly, the Saints have to have. Um, you know, I said in my open uh, a couple things that I'm going to reference here. But uh, number one, first and foremost, is the Saints, I mean, Saints fans can be delusional if they want and think that they can lose this game and go to the playoffs. It's not going to happen. Uh, San Francisco and, and the Eagles basically would need to lose their last two games um, for the for this team to be able to make the playoffs at 9-8. Nine and, nine and eight. It's not going to happen. Um, so they have to win their last three. And to put the pressure on the shoulder of this kid that's coming in, six-round pick out of Notre Dame, obviously near and dear to your heart. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's so many things, there's so many reasons why this kid has a chance to succeed tonight. And you look back, and I, again, another thing I talked about in the Open, Tom Brady was a six-round pick. He wasn't supposed to be the starter. Drew Bledsoe had just signed a, a, a 10-year, $100 million contract. In no way, shape, or form did the New England Patriots think that Tom Brady was going to be their, their quarterback for, for life, basically, and a Hall of Famer, obviously. And I'm not saying Ian Book can do that or put pressure on him to do that. But you never know with a kid that comes in and has a chance to see something. If he plays well tonight, they're not going to be able to take him off the field the rest of the year, no matter what happens anyway. I don't think. Um, if he plays well, I think Taysom goes back into his role and Ian books the quarterback for the rest of the year. Go ahead. I, I, I actually I, – I, I agree. And uh, if he comes out and plays well tonight and they win, let's say, let's say they win. Uh, well, maybe even if they don't win, but he plays well, uh, that turns into an audition for Peyton to go the final few games of the year. Uh, well, let's see what we got. Let's see what we can do in the final three, uh, two or three games of the year to say, how much can he handle? What can we put on his plate? What, what can we learn that he needs to work in, in the off season, uh, to do, um, he's really in a no lose situation. Um, he's being thrown in there. He doesn't have all of his weapons. He doesn't have Michael Thomas. He doesn't, um, you know, thank God Alvin Kamara. I mean, fingers crossed, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> seen Alvin Kamara, you know. Don't, don't say that. To, I don't even want to bring that up. Um, one thing he does have as an advantage for him going in tonight, he's got Peyton in his head on the sidelines. Uh, and, and what a dynamic play caller Peyton is. Uh, I've read some of Jeff Duncan's book, um, Peyton and Breeze. And just the little things that, um, that, that you read, how Peyton will adjust calls on the fly, things that he'll do, uh, that he'll see in a game, his feel for the game. You, you, there's no better play caller to have if you're a quarterback on the field that you need him to spoon feed you. Okay, keep your eye on this. This may happen. Um, so he's got him on the sidelines. He's got two talented running backs uh, who know the system, who are good at blitz pickup. Um, he, and so go out and play. And, um, my big thing is this, how quick is his mental clock? Um, well, you've seen, you, you've seen it for years. I mean, 
You tell us. I mean, you've been watching him play. I mean, of course, we've all seen him play in college here and there. But, I mean, I, I never followed Ian Book all that closely. Uh, but the, what I've done, what I've seen of Ian Book after the Saints drafted him and did a little bit more research on him and kind of went back and watched some 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 games here and there and things that he's written and and things he said, I mean, this kid just seems to be a winner. I mean, he's got moxie. And um, there were times when Notre Dame seemed to be ready to lose a ball game, but – he he was he he'd lead him to victory. He's a, he uh, uh, I small confession. Jim mentioned it earlier. Uh, lifelong Notre Dame fan. My dad was a huge Notre Dame fan. Didn't go. My my dad went to Tulane. Um, but uh, one morning, because and for those of us who are old enough to remember who are, are listening, um, back on Channel Twenty Six in the days before there was ever cable television, um. On 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings, they had Notre Dame football highlights. So basically the day before, they would condense a three-hour game into one hour, and it was hosted by Lindsey Nelson. And uh, who, he of the I can no one can beat me in the tacky blazer category, Lindsey Nelson. Uh, but um, he there and goes Buck Palou throwing down the right sideline. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. But um, – so one morning after my dad would wake me up on Sunday morning, he goes, Hey, you want to go watch Notre Dame highlights? So we'd watch them. So I asked my dad one morning years ago, I said, dad, why exactly are we Notre Dame fans? You went to Tulane. So did mom. And he goes, Oh, that's easy. They're Catholic. We're Catholic and they win. And I'm like, okay, good enough for me. <laughs> so hey man, Tulane's had some winning season. They have, they have, but uh, I think he was, he liked the idea of pulling for someone that won more than they lost. And, um, but, so, but, but, but what, over the past, you know, three years or whatever, just talk about Ian book and what yeah, you've seen. And, from well, him. and that's, and that's where I was going to go. So as a lifelong Notre Dame fan, what I can tell you is, and I do watch, and I do keep up and, um, and heck I get the best of both worlds now. Cause I watch Notre Dame football and I got Drew Brees on the color commentary yeah. now, yeah. which is pretty fun to listen to. Yeah. But, um, book is, uh, you hear the words gritty player. He's the type do whatever it takes to win the game. Um, sometimes he's he's dazzling, and sometimes it's ugly, but he gets it done. Um, he, if it means that I have to take off running, he's going to take off running. Um, he does a very good job of keeping his eyes up, moving around. Um, sometimes he'll hold on to the ball a little too long. I would love to see him, and this is the case for many quarterbacks. Not every quarterback can throw with the anticipation of Drew Brees or or Aaron Rodgers, or, um, or, you know, all the greats that you see out there, the Tom Brady's, that they, they can throw it to a spot or they can throw the receiver open. Not every quarterback can just do that from the start. But he, does, he will he'll take his chances. Um, his one interception in the preseason, I actually loved it. I loved that because that's who he is. Not the throw the interception guy. He took a chance. He knew it was right toward the end. The Saints were making a comeback in the preseason game. He took a shot. If he throws it more back shoulder, that guy catches the ball. And I'm like, that's the kind of throw Breeze would have taken the yes. chance. Yeah. Breeze just would have placed it better. Yeah. And I liked the mindset. I liked where he was going with it. And he was moving the team and everything. He's got a decent arm. Um, throw it on target. And he can. And Peyton gives him the right place to get, put him in a position to succeed. You're going to love his grittiness. You're going to love his toughness. Uh, that's what I'll say. Uh, it, he's it, a competitor. 
People forget that it was well into the second half of Drew Brees' career before he stopped averaging basically an interception a game. I mean, Brees would throw between 16 and 18 interceptions on average a year for the first nine or 10 years of his career. And then suddenly something clicked and he stopped doing that. But I mean, people forget that. It's easy to forget. I actually, you say 16, 18, I had that at about 13. The number he seemed to hit consistently was 13, 13, 14, somewhere right around there. Just shy of one a game, but yeah. Yeah, right. And, um, but Breeze, Peyton never told him, you've got to stop throwing all these interceptions. I mean, Breeze hates interceptions as much as Peyton did. They hate turnovers. But one thing Peyton loved, loved the gunslinger mentality. And Peyton wants you to be aggressive. He wants the defense on their heels, stretch them vertically, stretch them horizontally. And Peyton's offense is, as you and I've talked about in the past, it's a combination of the West coast offense paired with air Coryell, Don Coryell, the coach of the, uh, the chargers. And that is vertical attack. The hash marks attack the seams and Walsh's spread you out. Right. And he Peyton found a way. But, and he found the quarterback to do it. But you're right. Going to be vertical, and you're going to go with those aggressive throws. Those are also where there's a lot of traffic over the middle. And that was one thing I kept waiting for Jameis to do. And and Pate was starting to open it up a little yes. bit more when he, got, he, when he got injured. It. That's right. He was starting to do it. And I, 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 uh, Nick Underhill did a really good graphic on this. As Jameis was slowly starting to do more throws over the middle, more throws over the middle, more throws over the middle, which was Breeze's bread and butter. Think about Marcus Colson. How many of those back shoulder throws down the seams to Marcus Colston? And they had a chemistry. But that's what that's part of the offense. And but it is risky. And there's more traffic there. But Book will do it. If Peyton tells him to do it, Book's gonna do it. Well, the good news for him is other than the two tight ends who one or both may come back. But the good news for Book is, other than Ryan Ramchek, who wasn't going to play anyway, most likely, everyone else may be back. I mean, so, like you say, does, Zach that, include, does, that, include, does that include Armstead? Armstead, it looks like Armstead's going to play from what I've been reading. I think there's a good chance Armstead plays. I'm not 100% sure that it's going to happen, but everything I was looking at this morning kind of suggests that he, he's been limited in practice, but he's been practicing. So... And, and, I, I would just I, I am dying for them to get Ramchak back. Uh oh, me what too. a difference he makes on there's that no line. Question. Oh my god. But when that when that line is together, there's no question that it's one of the best in the NFL. So but look, he, he's gonna have enough weapons to be able to make things happen. There's no question that everything's gonna kind of revolve around forty one. We know that. That's how it works. I agree. No, I, I definitely agree. And um I I like the way that Peyton has used Alvin Kamara as a little bit of a decoy um, in some instances, because if they give it to him and 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 throw screen after screen to him and get him involved, eventually he's going to wear down in the game. I, I like how he's, he's sprinkled in some Mark Ingrams. I love some of the read options that he did with Taysom last week where Taysom faked it to Kamara and kept the ball when they desperately needed to extend that six nothing lead last week. Um, I was texting a, a, a former coworker of, our, of ours, uh, Stephen, 
And I said, my God, they got to get at least three here. They, they've got to get going. And then sure enough, next three plays all had Taysom running the ball. Some good news on that aspect when it comes to the quarterback position is first two years of book at Notre Dame, they uh, did a lot of RPOs in a different, in a different offense. And so it, um, he has done that offense before with very quick throws, uh, run pass options. Uh, at, he's done the whole mesh point thing uh, with the running back and either he keeps it or gives it. He's done all of that before um, at Notre Dame. And then they switched offensive coordinators and Tommy Reese, former Notre Dame quarterback, who is the co- current coordinator, changed the offense based on the personnel and the offense they ran the final two years was not the same as the first two years Ian Book played. Well, they, I mean, I guess in a good in a way, bad in a way, but um, they're, they're actually facing a very similar defense to the one they played last week. Now, their defensive line doesn't have quite the studs that Tampa Bay has, but if you look at their rankings, they're seventh against the run and 24th against the pass, which is almost identical numbers to what Tampa Bay is. So you get kind of a similar defense two weeks in a row. And Brian, Brian Flores is a Bill Belichick disciple. And he, I think what he's done uh, with this Dolphins team is, I mean, to start off one and seven, and now you're seven and seven and have, I don't know about a realistic playoff chance, but you, you got one. And nobody at one and seven thinks you're going to be relevant at the end of December. No, I agree. And one thing to think about, um, Saints beat the Jets uh, recently. Jets put some points on that Dolphins team. And uh, whatever, and you know Sean Payton's looked at the film, whatever they were able to do before Miami rallied and won that game, you got to know Sean Payton's looked at that film and go, okay, where are we going to attack? Now, go back to Brian Flores, Brian Flores, excuse me, Bill uh, Belichick disciple. Bill Belichick's philosophy always has been, Think of it, he's the, offensive, he's the opposite of Sean Payton's offensive philosophy. Payton's going to find your weakness, and he's going to attack and exploit and attack and exploit. Bill Belichick's the complete opposite. What's the one player we have to take out of the game for you? He makes it, he makes it a center point. What's the one thing we have to stop you from doing? And when he is able to do that, that's how he structures his whole defensive game plan. You mentioned Alvin Kamara. You know dang well. That's what they're going to do. They're going to do everything they can to take Alvin Kamara away. Now it's a question of how does Sean Payton counter it by featuring it's someone pern, else? Pern, counter pern, exactly. Remember point counterpoint. Exactly. So uh, we go to the we go to the McLaughlin group. Issue number one. Yeah. How do you counter? You know. Well, I'll take Buddy D and Hab. You know, counter pern. Oh yeah. Um, no, I agree. I mean, and, and look, they did it last week. Now, granted, they needed a shutout from their defense to be able to be successful, but you could tell the Buccaneers last week, their key was, we're not letting Alvin Kamara do squat, and he didn't. And so, uh, you know, all this flack that Taysom took last week, that's a whole other t- – I'm not going to go off on that tangent again, but, I mean, Taysom did exactly what Sean Payton wanted him to do, and that was get a lead and then don't do anything stupid. I mean, that, that, was, that was the philosophy. And really, tonight, Jim, if the Saints find a way to get a lead and they can even, I know it's reserves, but if they can count on this defense and especially the defensive front, because Miami can't run the ball. I mean, so that's another difference from Tampa Bay is they, can't, they don't have any good running backs like Tampa Bay had. 
And so, well, Jim, Jim, I think I'm, you just got to do that. You got to take a lead and then not do anything stupid. No, one thing, one, first off, I agree. And secondly, one thing I wanted to point out that we have not talked, touched on, Saints could have won that game by about 10 more points last week. And I'm going to give you an example. There was a, there was a, um, sorry about that. My daughter had to step into the room for a second to tell me she was leaving to go somewhere. And, uh, but there was a, a point last week where on a, uh, a crossing pattern, he circled out of the backfield over the middle, right as he did it, it was an option route. And Taysom Hill made the right read. Kamara made the right read, right, correct read, excuse me. The leverage of the defender was toward the outside. Kamara breaks inside over the middle, third down. Hill throws it behind Kamara. If he hits Kamara in stride, Kamara, I'm not saying he would have scored, but he probably would have had 20 to 30 more yards, and the play was already in Tampa Bay territory. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he missed about three or four throws. He missed one to Traquan Smith off the left side that would have been a first down in Tampa Bay territory. He missed another one to uh, Callaway, and he missed that circle route over the middle to Kamara. I don't know whether some of it was because of the mallet finger and what he could or couldn't get on the ball or whether it was just an accuracy problem. But if they can run the same plays and books can book with no injury to his hand, can get the throws to the playmakers in space like that, that might be a factor in tonight's game. No, I, I agree. And look, I mean, last week you, you talk about, I mean, people were uh, just come going off and take some mill. He really only made like four bad throws. I mean, that, that was, that's it. I mean, it was just not the offense. Here's the problem. The Saints fans are so spoiled. They are so used to 320-yard passing games and 26 for 38 and three touchdowns and no intercept. Those days are gone. I mean, they may come back eventually if they find the right guy, whether it's Ian Book or whether it's well, Russell Wilson. Let me ask you a question say, for, the, for the fun of it. Let me ask you a question for the fun of it. A, a Drew Brees on the men from his injuries – if you put him in last week's game, what do you think that final score would have been? Uh, well, we we kind of saw it last year, right? It was thirty-eight to, to three. So right. I mean, that defense played last night as well as the defense did last year. No doubt. I don't think the Saints put up thirty-eight, but I think the well, Saints have put put up twenty-four to twenty-seven points. That's the difference between a Hall of Fame quarterback and average Joe is. When average Joe's in, you say, don't screw up me. When Hall of Fame Joe is in there, you like, just go and kill him. I mean, that's the difference. I mean, so theoretically, if the Saints wanted to, they, they would have been more aggressive and scored more points. And tonight, they may have to do that. So we may see Ian Book, and he may have to be aggressive. And we don't know whether which one we're going to get. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. And I, I'll be honest. Oh. I mean, I, I think this – look – I'm I'm a realist. I don't I don't really like the Saints playoff chances anyway. So I mean I do think if they win tonight, they'll win the last two. Um I and agree. that, that and may not even be you. enough. That that may not even I, be enough. But I, but I'm interested to see, Jim, what what uh what kind of moxie this team has in adverse situations. So here's one for you. Here's one for you. Uh I'm gonna give you a hypothetical. We'll see play out anyway. And then I'm gonna tell you what offense I expect to see tonight from the Saints. Hypothetically, Saints win the toss. You want the ball first or do you want your defense on the field first? 
You know, I thought about, I actually thought about this. I was driving home across the bridge last night. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's weird that you bring that up. I mean, our minds have been in sync for a long time. Well, but we've I been broadcasting together for a while. We have. And so, I mean, you know, I, it's, I, we're to the point now where I say something and, and you start talking and I don't, I know this sounds bad to people, but I really don't have to listen because I know what you're going to say. So like I'm, I'm doing stats and I, and even though I didn't really hear you, I know what you said. Okay. So that's, that's one thing. <laughs> but, um, the answer to that question, I think was, I still would rather go on defense first. And I know you don't really want Ian book to, to sit and stew and have to think about it long. But at the same time, I still want that advantage in the second half. Um, I still want to be able to dictate the end of the first half and, and start that second half with the ball that Peyton is so great at. I used to hate that. I used to hate the defer thing, but it, it's really grown on me. And with, with the Saints, I think it works well. So in answer to your question, logically, you would want to take the ball first, and, and so he doesn't have time to think about the butterflies even longer. But I still think I would uh, defer. I would too. I go defer. Simple, but if they go out there and just go three and out, bang, 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 yeah, then he's right. going to start doing it even more. Um, okay, here's the thing. I, I've been thinking all week, all week, what kind of game plan are you going to see offensively? Obviously, Alvin Kamara is a heavy part of it. Thank God he and Ingram are both healthy, uh, unless I hear otherwise. Okay. We're going to see, in my opinion, the game plan that was constructed for Teddy Bridgewater when he took over for Drew Brees when Brees injured the don't screw up offense. It, it is. Now, Ian Book is as mobile as Bridgewater with a little more speed. And um, the experience that Bridgewater had, no. Bridgewater had already been in the league several years. But I think you're going to see an offense very similar to the Teddy Bridgewater offense. Um, Bridgewater did throw over the middle uh, uh, and everything. He knew exactly when to take the chances, when to do it. I think he's just going to blow the dust off of the Teddy Bridgewater offense, and that's what you're going to see. And in Peyton, in his dream world, he wants the game that Bridgewater did against Chicago at Chicago two years ago. That's that's what he that's what he wants. I think. Um... No one can see that see us right now. This is audio only. You and I are doing this video. I got both of my dogs on screen. I was gonna say, I think Lucy the dog wants to uh, get involved. She had something to say. She kept putting her paw on your hand. Like I have something to say. What what, what do we think Lucy has to say? Well, Lucy, what you got, baby? Well, she says, Mister Derry, seventy-seven years old in dog years. I'm sick of this. I, I'm sick of this. Let's get the game on. I'm ready. Oh boy. She's a uh, yeah. She, she, her little her little brother who's uh, outweighs her by about like almost thirty pounds is over here to the left. So. <laughs> Jim Rapier here on the Datitude Podcast. <laughs> Cute. They, they're very well. Paid. They're not like my my dog has to go outside when I'm doing the podcast. I mean, yeah, your dog's a puppy though. Uh, yeah, he's a little rambunctious for sure. He is. He's like six in dog years, I think. Um, all right, all right. What's your prediction? Pain. Why don't we? Okay, clubber. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, that's actually where I was going to next. By the way, before we go to predictions, I, I want to say a little small shout out there um, for all of us who uh, 
who are listening in on the Datitude podcast right now, um, but also have ever had the uh, experience of hearing Jim and I do high school football games on Friday nights as well as high school basketball games during uh, basketball season. I just want to say, oh, my God. Was that not an incredible high school football season? One of my favorites yeah. we've it, ever had. Uh, it, it, so was, I just, it certainly ended fantastically for us, for sure. But uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It, um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it just we've got the best supporting crew when we do our broadcast. And uh, they're always there. They're top notch. And uh, but really, the shout out that I always love to give at the end of the year not only to my broadcast partner and our supporting crew who uh, help with the broadcast, but to the kids that make it happen, that, that, that put the sacrifice in there and go out and play their hearts out to the parents that support those kids and to the coaches and everyone out there. Thank you, everybody, for the great job that y'all do. So, uh, all right, now we're on to predictions. Yeah, well, it, it makes – I mean, we, we – you and I have both enjoyed the high school realm of things for a long time because um, we both covered the Saints at different – parts of our career and the fact is it's just more fun to cover high school sometimes but yeah let's get your predictions let's talk about it uh what do you th- not necessarily a score but just tell me how you how you think tonight's gonna go it goes one of two ways and i don't necessarily mean one win one loss um saints get a lead early if the saints get a lead early i think this game's going to be close all the way to the end if the Saints, if the Dolphins get ahead by double digits early um, and the Saints are in catch-up, I see the Saints losing by 10 to 14 points. But if the Saints get the lead early, I think this thing is going to be nail-biter to the end. I think that the, I think they're going to play – I think they're going to play much better defense than anyone expects them to play. Um, I think for the Why Saints – you got Cha- You got Chauncey Gardner out there, baby. That's right. No, he's going to be doing something. CD Deuce will piss someone off. There's no doubt about it. It's definitely, it's going to happen at some point. He's just going to stand there and laugh at you. Um, I think for the Saints to win, it needs to be like a 20 to 13, um, 19, 16, something like some ugly score that doesn't happen very often kind of score. Um, They don't, they can't, they're not going to shut another team out. It's the shutout's not going to happen. So, I mean, Let's be realistic, but I mean the over/under is thirty-seven and a half. So the lines makers are expecting a game in the vicinity of twenty to seventeen. And honestly, I don't know who's going to win, but I think that's the kind of score we're going to have. I think it's going to be a lower scoring kind of game. Now that I say that, it'll be forty-two to thirty-eight. Uh, but um, I just I, the Saints can't win if there's a lot of points scored in this game. I mean, and I agree. I, I, they they just have they have to keep it lower. Uh, unless number nine's back throwing the ball, they tried. Track meet. They apparently right, tried. Right. Apparently, and, and from what I've heard, they even reached out to uh, Philip Rivers. Yeah. Uh, and Rivers said, I, "I'd rather spend Christmas with my nine kids." So, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's got his hands full. He's probably uh, probably have an easier time on a football field than doing that. that that's uh, that's Brady Bunch plus three. So that's a little. A little too large for me to comprehend. They, they brought in a guy who's been in the AFC Championship game, so you know. Right, right. Yeah. So um, the, that's the other thing. Um, I uh, I agree with you on the it, it's got to be low scoring, but there's one other aspect that we haven't touched on as we're making predictions. What do you think Dennis Allen's going to cook up defensively? 
You know, I have no idea. I got to be honest. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't usually pressure. Um, but Tua seems like a guy you could pressure a little bit. Um, I mean, he's a decent runner only because I think he's young and most young quarterbacks can at least run a little bit. But he's he's not the most fleet of foot. I'll say that. And he'll run two in a night. So I don't want to jinx myself. Right. But, you know, Dennis Allen, I'm not sure we're going to see him next year on the Saints sidelines. Uh, I wholeheartedly he have, agree. He, uh, he may have earned himself a starting uh, – starting – a head coaching job, excuse me, elsewhere. Uh, and he's uh, he is a real heady defensive coordinator. I already have in mind who I would to promote the defensive coordinator if Allen were to move on. If you don't make Ryan Nielsen the defensive coordinator, uh, the job he's done along that defensive line ever since Bill Johnson left yeah. uh, has been absolutely tremendous. I mean, they keep plugging people in I've never even heard of. Uh, if I'll, anything, Ryan Nielsen should get an award for creating Shy Tuttle and what Shy Tuttle did. Yeah, he really uh, and well, Shy Tuttle. national TV. Shy Tuttle's going to have to be. You talk about Shy Tuttle, he's going to have to be key tonight uh, across that defensive yeah. front. But I'm just going to throw this out there as we're going to end this segment very shortly. But I, I think I think Sean Payton's close to done. I I, I, I kind of do. Well, I mean, I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. I think he's going to wait a couple more years, but I wouldn't be surprised. Dennis Allen's still fairly young, and I know he likes it here. I know his family loves it here. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Sean Payton tells him behind the scenes, "Look, I got about three years left, and maybe four. If you want to hang around, you're going to get this job." I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, you know as well as I do, these coaches and players they love New Orleans and most of these guys that come play here and coach here they end up living here when they're done they they absolutely never leave uh well let me ask you a question let me ask you a question okay hypothetically this is and there's no way there's no way this ever comes true because I'm talking in the past and unless you're Marty McFly you're going to go back So how do you do hypothetically in the past because I'm Jim Rapier and that's what I do okay um the Saints Reed had not made the trade made in Did that draft to get Mahomes right before the Saints. Yeah. Because Peyton wanted to draft Mahomes. Right. For sure. Do you think Peyton would be sitting here going, your prediction, I only got maybe two or three years left? Or do you think he's like, I'm revitalized. Let's go another 10 years? No, I still think. I might tell you, I, I thought the same thing for, I thought, man, he's got 10, 15 years left. Mike to tell you, I kind of, Changed my mind on it, and it, you know he, what ninety five percent of what he says ends up coming true. So he said that he thinks Peyton's only got three or four years left, which has changed my mind on the whole thing. I, you can see at times earlier in the year where it didn't seem like Peyton was really in it. I think he did as the season went along. I think he kind of like took. I think when. Right before the Tampa Bay game, they obviously were really in that, and they, they gave everything they had, and there's something about Tampa Bay that fires him up. But I think when he lost his quarterback, that kind of oh, rejuvenated I, 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 him a little bit. I mean, that, that kind of like – but the first part of the year, I think there were times when he just kind of was there. I mean, the Giants game, it looked like they didn't have any game plan whatsoever. They just kind of like floated in, and didn't they didn't play very well against Atlanta either. I mean, and I'm not, not just because they lost. I mean – it just kind of looked like they were there. And so, I mean, to me, and 
Peyton would never have games like that before. Here's my, here's, here's my, my best guess. And I, it's very interesting. You should say this. You hear about, you know, everyone knows what a hangover is. It was yeah, almost for sure. like breeze he was hangover. in a, it was almost, I think he was, he was suffering a breeze hangover for the first five games of the year. Like it, it's just not coming as easy as it did. It's just, it's, it's just not it. it and then suddenly it's sort of like you said, Winston goes down and it's like, you know what? Nine is not walking through the door. Right. Uh, Maybe he needed I, to realize I, it too. I'm not sure he realized it. I know the reality is physically he wasn't there, but yeah. I'm not sure if mentally he was like, I can't believe he's actually gone. I noticed the first game. No, no, I'm sorry. First game they beat Green Bay. I noticed it second game <laughs> and third game and fourth yeah. game. No, it's true. It's true. And you, at some point you wait just like, you know, the quarterback has to come in and learn the system. Well, guess what? The coach has to learn the system without the guy that's been back there for 15 years. I mean, it, it works both ways. So it's, it's just as tough on him, I think, as it was on Winston. Okay, and, I, and, I can't, and he's one of our local guys who covers the Saints and tweets about them constantly. And I can't remember which person it was. Made an excellent point, and it re- immediately reminded me of a game. Three years ago, Thanksgiving, Saints host the Falcons in the Dome yeah. and just beat the living snot out of them. And Wait, that was that night, in Atlanta or was that in, in the Georgia Dome? Here in New Orleans, mm-hmm. 2018 season. On Thanksgiving night, Breeze throws four touchdown passes to four players that were undrafted free agents. Yeah, right. Dan Arnold, Tommy Lee Lewis, Austin Carr, and, and, and uh, one other one. I remember that. Four touchdown passes to four players who were not even drafted. Yeah. And what the and what the person tweeted that reminded me of that was is Breeze could make less than average players look like average receivers in the NFL. Well, guess what? Part of that first five game hangover that we're talking about, I think Peyton's starting to realize what I can't just trot anyone out there to catch the ball. Yeah. And, Quarterback's not going to do it. Here's another one for you. The responsibility of the line blocking calls on the offensive front has moved from the quarterback to Eric McCoy. Yeah. McCoy is having to make all those calls now. Breeze always made all those calls. Right. So yeah. it, 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 it's I think different I'm like, in I'm every way you. possible for sure. It's definitely. It, 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 I think it took like five times. It was sort of like he was in a haze, like, it's just not as easy as it was. What's going on? Yeah. It's just not. And then all of a sudden, the wake-up call, unfortunately, because he was just starting to play well, the wake-up call was Winston getting injured. Yeah. Suddenly, Peyton's like, okay, it's all hands on deck. i, I got to figure something out here. Well, I mean, and they and, went through a month, and, and again, I mean, I, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but you, you go through a month of trotting a guy out there because – you don't have any other options because Taysom was hurt. He had a concussion and then um, he had other issues. He just wasn't ready to play. And I mean, Trevor Simeon's not an NFL quarterback. It is what it is. So you kind of go through a month and you hope you get one of those four and they didn't. Um, And they're they're That's why they're in the boat they're in now. Well, I think they got to win their last three and and still need a good thing to happen to them. What I liked, there's things I like about Simeon and unfortunately there's more I dislike. Um, 
which was completely out of his control during his run where he started games, Taysom going down just did not help him at all. Yeah, no, that you can have Taysom, when you can have Taysom on the field For as sure. an extra weapon that the defense has. But the, the things I liked about him, he could make the correct reads. The things I hated about him, he would stare down receivers, draw defenders to the person he's throwing to, and then wait to throw the ball to the receiver was open instead of throwing to a spot, letting the receiver run onto it. And I'm like, you can make the right read. Just throw the damn ball. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to bash him anymore. I've, I've spent a long time. I mean, he did the best. I mean, look, he, he did the best he could. I mean, I, and, and really, I know, obviously I don't think anybody goes out there and just kind of lollygags the first and lollygags the second. I mean, I, I think he really did the, the best he could do. And I don't think I, and I mean, I've said this on, on our at the book show and, everywhere else and i just don't i think when this season's over he's never going to wear an nfl uniform again that's just my opinion oh i think he'll go to i think he'll go to another team uh but here's what i here's here's what i here's what i'm going to ask you just for the fun of it breeze is making his predictions on sunday night football and he's the only one in the whole world that picks the saints last week does he know something we don't know or did he, was he just picking the Saints because he played for the Saints because he's got the best record of any panelist on that group for Sunday Night Football? Maybe he knows what they really have on the Bucks. I mean, and he just wasn't sharing everything. I mean, to me, that's got to be what it is, right? I mean, he, he knows the Saints match up well with the Bucks, and I'll tell you what, one thing for sure, if the Saints went out and do make the playoffs, there's a... I, I don't know whether... I, I put their percentages of making the playoffs somewhere in the neighborhood of... 30 to 40% right now. But if, if they do make the playoffs, I, but, I, I think there's about an 80% chance that they go to Tampa in week one. And that would be one hell. I can tell you who's not rooting for the Saints to go to the playoffs. It's Tampa. 100%. They do right. not want to play this team again. Right. And here's the other thing. And I'm a huge, I want this qualified ahead of time. I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. Okay. That makes one of us. Okay. But here's the deal. For all those people who are coming on there saying, oh, yeah, yeah, but he he only beats the Saints when it counts and all this sort of stuff and everything. Right. Ever since he joined the Buccaneers and all that. Kind of stunk in the playoffs. Okay. You are fooling yourself if you think he was the reason they won that playoff game last year. Agreed. He is not the reason they won that. And that doesn't mean that he didn't play – the Tampa Bay defense won that game for 100%. Tampa Bay last year. Let me tell you something. If that guy doesn't poke the ball out of Jared, Jared Cook's Cook, hands. Yeah. yeah. Jared Cook won the game for Tampa Bay. Yes. Because if let me he tell doesn't you, fumble, the, Saints, the, the are, Saints win. Right. They are on the third, Tampa Bay 35-yard line, first down, a touchdown ahead. And the way Breeze had that offense moving at that point, if they go up two touchdowns, that game is over. Yeah. That they, game is over. Yeah, I think uh, – no, no, all, all kidding aside, I think Jared Cook indirectly stole a Super Bowl from the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yes, I would agree. Because the Saints weren't going to Green Bay. No, they're not going they to Green Bay and win. Nope. But And Green Bay would have beat Kansas City, I think, too. And, and that said, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady did not win that game last year. But Dennis Allen has something about the way he knows how to defend whether it's a Bruce he Arians kn- offense, he knows or, how to. Or, he, no, he knows how to piss Brady off. It's as simple <laughs> as that. He fr- he knows how to frustrate. You send in, you send in your your guys in in the B gap, 
both at the same time, and somehow he gets him in there, like, I don't know, 15, 20% of the time he gets him in there, and another 15 to 20% of the time he gets enough to be in, in his face just to aggravate him enough, and he hates that. I mean, Tom Brady, as great as he is in his career, Tom Brady needs a clean pocket. He does not like to move off of his spot. And here's he really doesn't. For you. For those who are old enough to have remembered this game, 2009, Patriots come to the Dome. Saints are undefeated. Monday Night Football, and the Saints annihilate them. 38-17, and it wasn't even that close. Well, it was close until but, about the third quarter, but yeah. Right. What a lot of people may or may not realize, Dennis Allen was on the Saints staff as a secondary coach. Yeah. And Greg Williams was a defensive coordinator. I have gone back and watched that game numerous times over the years. And something that an analyst tweeted out in the past week in reaction to the Saints-Buccaneers game, at the second level, right where the linebackers are positioned, at the second level where the linebackers are positioned, you have robbers and lurkers. Yeah. Right? Loves the crossing route. He really does. Take, if you take those away from him, he gets antsy in the pocket. You take away that, and you take away his tight end, and he has no toys to play with, and he doesn't know what to do. Uh, and he gets really ticked off when, when, when people drop the ball. Look, before I let you go, there is one last thing I want to uh, ask you if you've ever seen. Obviously, we didn't, get it, we didn't touch on a lot of Saints history. We'll do that in the offseason. Um, but historically, to me, the Saints are in a position now where they're kind of like where the Dolphins were. The Dolphins lost seven in a row, then they won six in a row. By the way, the Dolphins last one, I, I got a question for you real quick uh, to get off track. The la- when's the last time the Dolphins, you think the Dolphins won six in a row? The last time the Dolphins won six in a row? Yeah, they're, they're now on a six-game winning streak. I'm going to say the last time the Dolphins won six in a row was when Saban was coach. Oh, no. That, that, they, no, they've no actually, I, I, it's, it's actually happened fairly recently. But I'm, it's getting to my next point. The last time they won six in a row was 2016, and Adam Gaze was coach. And I mean, no, oh no, one, no one would think that. And they won nine out of ten, actually, to finish the season. Um, but here you go. So that's the last time they won six in a row. They win tonight, obviously. I can count. My Shaw math tells me that would be seven in a row. When is the last time the Miami Dolphins won seven games in a row? When David Woodley was quarterback. <laughs> um, well, close. Not quite. They did not that far back, but very close. Don Shula. No, it's a little bit a little bit earlier than that. It was the year that we graduated from high school. Um, 1985. 1985. Don Shula was coach. Dan Marino was in his third season as quarterback, and uh, the Dolphins won their final seven regular season games of the year. That's the last time they won seven in a row. So. That is, what, 36 years ago. That is a long time ago. So they're trying to do something they haven't done in 36 years. Do you think that they walk into the Dome thinking about let's make some history? No, I, th- I, I think, um, to me, teams that are in kind of the Saints boat have an advantage. And, and I know Brian Flores is not the kind of coach that's going to have his, the team's going to be thinking we got this in the bag. But just mentally. Don't you think they just got to be thinking in their heads, ha, 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 we got this one? Just a little bit? Yeah, I do. I, I, think they know that the, I think they know the Saints have a lot of players on the COVID list, and 
they're human. The Dolphins are just as the Saints are, and I think they're going to think they're somewhere in the back of their heads. They got to be thinking, we 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 should beat this team. Yeah, we, we I should agree. Beat this team. Um, I still haven't asked the question I want to ask because I have one more weird tidbit fact that probably you and maybe two of the other listeners that are listening to this will care about. But I know okay. you will find this interesting because you like this kind of stuff. All right, so the Saints and Dolphins have played twelve times in their mm-hmm. histories. This series is tied at six, okay? Yes. That doesn't say how go to show how close this series actually is, all right? So they played, the Saints and Dolphins have played seven times in a Saints home stadium. Once was in Tiger Stadium, so you have to count that. So seven times in southeast Louisiana. The average score in those seven games, Saints 21, Dolphins 20, okay? The average, yeah. the average score in the five games in Miami is high scoring. Dolphins twenty one, Saints twenty. The same score in reverse. Oh, that's insane! Isn't okay, it? So here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing about that. The uh, John North, when he was coach of the Saints back in the early 1970s, uh, one of the I think Dolphins Super Bowl years, they came to Tulane Stadium and won twenty one nothing. So the Saints have had to make up some ground on that. Maybe. Yeah, 74. And the Saints have had to make up some ground on that. And then, but I always remember the weird part is the games in Miami as being high scoring. I don't remember very many high scoring games in New Orleans, but the ones in Miami, I mean, one time Brian uh, Greasy had to come off the bench and rally and they, they beat the Saints on the final play of the game. There was the high scoring game. Uh, in 2009, and I, I mean that's really strange that uh, what Isn't you it? bring up. Oh my God! That I mean, yeah. okay, you've outdone me on the trivial knowledge. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, to me, the game that sticks out in my head, and it won't stick out in anyone else's head because most people aren't as old as I am. But um, the game back in 1983, it was the last. Oh. It was the last game that Dan Marino didn't start for the Dolphins, uh, except for games he was injured, until the next century. Okay, so That's correct. Uh, he took over for David Woodley, who had, was struggling. You mentioned him, former LSU quarterback. He came in and take over for David Woodley, and the Saints still won 17-7, to but it was the beginning of the Dan Marino era for all intents and purposes. And that That's game correct. probably sticks uh, out in my mind. I, th- I want to say it was an NBC game because it was in the Dome and it was so – at the time, there weren't a lot of Saints sellouts. You didn't get to see a lot of Saints home games on TV. So it, it sticks out in my mind that it was on TV and that the Saints uh, the Saints weren't, weren't bad that year. They were they – were, they were, they, yeah, they, they almost went to the playoffs under Bum, right? Well, that, that, was, the, that was Bum's first really good year. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they, they – 4-12 um, his first year, then the struck year, and then that year – that's when everything all came together, and they lost in the final game of the year to the Rams. Right, uh, where they would have gone. Mike to Lansford, but yeah. they just dominated Miami that day. Uh, I, I was at that game, and you were right; it was it, the place was electric. Um, I remember um, they had Saints had a really tall wide receiver named Tyrone Young from University yeah. of Florida. I remember, and yeah, um, sure. they used to put him in on field goal attempts because he was so tall, and put him yeah. right in the middle. And he affected or maybe partially blocked an attempt by Uvon Shaman, 
Yeah. Who's the kicker for the Dolphins. Yeah, okay. I don't know why I remember that. But uh, I remember him too. We're old. <laughs> we, we, have, no. we have useless trivia. It's stuck in our brains. We can't get it out. But, Jim, to, to your point, to your point, that was the game when the Saints won that game where suddenly the rest of the league was like, this team's pretty good. That one game when they beat when they won that game, like this team's pretty damn good. Yeah, and it's hard to realize that the Saints up to that point and still actually for another what four more years had never had a winning season. So that's that's insane to think about that. All right, I am going to get to my my final question here because we do have to wrap right. up. Um, our the Saints are on a two game winning streak, obviously after losing five in a row. In my opinion, their only chance to make the playoffs is to win their last three, which means they'd finish on a five-game winning streak. Do you ever remember a time when the Saints had to win four or five in a row to make the playoffs and did? Because I was trying to think of that. I know that they oh, did. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I know that they've won a bunch of games in a row and got into the playoffs, but not necessarily to win that many games to get into the playoffs. If that makes any sense. What's that? Nineteen ninety. 1990, 1990, uh, let's see. They beat, they beat San Fran and San Fran. Dwayne Scales caught a touchdown pass. That was the year. They went eight. Okay, I remember. That was the Morton Anderson New Year's Eve kick night. That's correct. I, against the Rams. I do remember that now. Okay, the Saints, you're, they were four and six after losing to the Redskins and then won uh, four of their last six including their last two against the 49ers and the Rams. Uh, yeah. Back then, obviously, pretty bitter uh, NFC West right. rivals. Um, and they won both games. <laughs> Boy, they, they got some similarities to, to the scores that we were seeing this year. Um, they won. They beat the Niners 13-10 to 10 and the Rams 20-17 to 17 and then lost to the Bears in, in the opening round of the playoffs 16-6. to 6. Um, now, interesting thing about that Bears game, that playoff game, they would have tied the game or actually taken the lead, maybe. Vince Buck blocked a field goal attempt by Kevin Butler, and they returned it all the way with the touchdown, and the refs just somehow yeah. said the Saints were offsides. The same, I mean, this is the weird – I mean, how do, how do you even make the playoffs like this? Ten of their last 11 games, the Saints, in that season – they scored 24 points or fewer. They only scored 24 once. They scored 21 points or fewer in 10 of their last 12 games and made the playoffs. Defense was, their good defense was, was insane. That's insane. It, it, was, it, was, it was insane how good the defense was. And then on top of it, they go to San Francisco, and they're like, oh, they don't stand a chance. They win the game. Yeah, 13 <laughs> to 10. That's insane. To 10. They, and, and, they had to have... They had to have um, Atlanta beat Dallas in the yeah. final week of the season. And the Saints played on Monday night. Set up Monday night game. On New Year's Eve, on yeah. New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve. And Dallas, because of an injury to Troy Aikman, and because Dallas had traded Steve Walsh to the Saints earlier in the season. That's right. Because of that, Dallas trotted out Babe Laufenberg. Oh, yeah. At quarterback. The Babe. And, set up because Atlanta won that set up the Saints all they had to do was win I'll tell you a little interesting tidbit before we go off the air um that was a that was a first date night for me um 
I was 20, what, 22 years old. A first date night for me. And I guess I went a little crazy at the game because we never went out again after that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was New Year's Eve and the Saints, uh, I didn't care. I mean, it was New Year's Eve. The Saints just went to the, the playoffs, which was a very uncommon occurrence back then. Um, in fact, what was that was only the second time it had ever happened, right? Um, let's see. Uh, they didn't. That was they went on a more yeah because they made it in eighty seven. They did not make it in eighty eight. They, they tied at ten and six, ten and six, ten and six. Rams, 49ers, right. NFC West, and Rams and 49ers went to the playoffs. They did not make it in eighty nine with a nine and seven record. Right, and then uh, so it was only the second was, time. Yeah, it was the second time in team history they were going to the playoffs, and I remember. Morton Anderson kicks the game winner and everybody goes insane. And I probably was a little inebriated and, you know, party up well, New that, Orleans. That 90 team, that 90 team was, uh, they were, they, they, they were so good defensively. San Francisco had to know they had their hands full because in the opener, 1990, uh, 49ers are coming off of, um, a Super Bowl. They opened the season on Monday night in new Orleans and though the 49ers won 13 to 12, um, the Saints just, they sacked Montana like seven times and whatever. But then, of course, Montana did what Montana always young. did. And he let they them. Sacked young yeah. four, Steve Young four times. No, this, that was a Montana team. 1990? Montana and Young. Montana and Young. No, 1990. And 1990. Was, yeah, young was 22 or 37 for 208 yards and four sacks. Opener? No, not in the opener. Not in the opener. The opener was the four game. Yeah. Yeah, right. It, but in the opener, San Fran had to know what they had in store in that second to last game of the year defensively because the Saints, for 58 and a half minutes, humiliated Montana. I, I mean, it, uh, but then Montana did what he always did and said, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We won the game, that's, that second Frisco game. Steve Walsh was 9 of 20. So people think quarterback play is bad now. Steve Walsh went 9 of 25 for 112 yards with a touchdown and two interceptions, and the Saints won the game, 13 to 10. They forced four San Francisco fumbles in that game. Insane. All right, but I guess my, my – so that, that's, that's the thing. It can be done. It's been done before. I mean, not necessarily five in a row, but do you agree with me they need to win all three to, to get in the playoffs? I do. The only ca caveat I will make, um, and I'm not sure it necessarily means I disagree with you at all because I actually agree with you. The only caveat I will say is not the Dolphins are AFC. If they lose to the Dolphins, it doesn't count as an NFC loss. That's it. That's the only caveat I will make. Yeah, but uh, again, you, they, even if they lose this game and end up winning the last two, they're still not going to win a tiebreaker over the Niners or the Eagles. Uh, they can't right. win a tiebreaker over either one. I don't, I'm fairly certain of that. So, in other words, they're not going to lose both their last two games. Now, They'll probably each or at least one of them lose one. So I do think 10 and 7 probably will be good enough. But even 10 and 7, you still need a little help. So that's why I'm saying 9 and 8, you're done. I just don't see any right. path to the playoffs 9 and 8. I think the Rams will beat the 49ers. Um, but since Dallas won last night, unless you tell me, because I went to sleep too early, that uh, all of a sudden Washington pulled a miracle off. Uh, no, um, not even close. Right, exactly. So um, the 49ers had the Texans this week. Right. And now, although the Texans sort of surprised everyone, uh, 
yesterday with their performance, but no, I don't. I I think they have to win out, like you said. And the only, like I said, the only caveat I make is the Dolphins doesn't count against the NFC standings. But either way, I don't see the Eagles losing. Yeah, they're not going to Washington this weekend. Honestly, and the worst part is, I mean, the Cowboys, when they get to that final game, I mean, obviously they're already division sewed up. If they already have their spot sewed up, in other words, if Green Bay has already clinched the, the number one position, um, does it really matter if you're two, three, or four? I mean, I guess you don't want to be four, but it doesn't. I mean, you don't want to play, do you want to play the card? I don't, I don't know that it matters. So, I mean, you may see the Cowboys not care all that much, although it is the Eagles. So they probably want they'd love to knock the Eagles out in a way, but I mean, I, I don't know. So a- anyway, regardless, the, the saints, I, I just think they need to win out and I get what you're saying, but, uh, we'll see. Oh no, I, I actually, I, I'm with you. They have to win out. Like I said, the, the only caveat that is nice yeah. is a loss tonight doesn't count in the NFC standings, but that's well, it. We, we knew that Giants games would come back to bite us in the butt. <clears throat> uh, there, there's two games this year. Giants and Falcons. Let's just play if. Li, li, yeah. Let's just say the Saints won those games like they should have. Right now, over. instead of 7-7, seven and seven, they're 9-5. Nine and 9-5, uh, and and yeah, it's over. They're in. So, yeah, I mean, um, they're in. They, can, they could sleepwalk tonight and it wouldn't matter. I mean, they're in. They, right. they still wouldn't win the division, and they would be in the playoffs, and they could not care what happened tonight. I mean, it's a completely different story. You win those two games. Anyway, well, we'll, we'll watch, and uh, we'll enjoy, and we, we will have you back on soon, Mr. Rapier. Um, we thank you for joining us and sharing a bit of your brain with us. <laughs> I'm happy to get my brain back. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim Rabier, boys and girls, we will see you soon. Enjoy the game tonight, bud. All right, man, you too. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year, and let's have a good time. And that's what it's about, really, having a good time. We're going to have a good time enjoying the game tonight. For those of you going to the game, um, have fun with it. I mean, remember, there's a lot on the line tonight. I mean, I talked about my fantasy team, so I'm. it's going to be a uh, – Brutal three hours watching this thing, trying to get the Saints to hoping the Saints would win a game and hoping the Derry Bombs uh, advance to the Finks Football League Championship. Whew. Me a rough three hours, three and a half hours, whatever it is. But no one cares about my fantasy football team. So, program a note in case you didn't hear it last week, there's going to be no Friday show this week. So, we'll do, we're going to wrap. Two shows and one on Wednesday. We're going to have a... I'm hoping it's Jeff Duncan. I haven't asked him yet. Um, So hopefully it'll be Jeff Duncan to recap the Monday night game. We're going to do that on Wednesday. Um, We're not going to have a show tomorrow. Um, And then we'll have Conductor Dave and Uncle Big Nick on with the picks. Interesting week of picks as well. As we're starting to wrap it up, I mean, all the bowl games. All the bowl games that are getting canceled, it won't be the last... I think there are four now that have been canceled, or five? Or four that were canceled and one that was rescheduled with a different opponent. It's just insane. I mean, we didn't even get in a, we didn't get deep into the COVID stuff because we had, I wanted to talk, focus on the game. But, I mean, it's obviously, don't think this is the end of it either. Um, hopefully it's the end of it for the Saints, but I've been saying to people for a couple weeks now, I don't know. I think I would take my. Th- I don't. I know you don't want to do this, but I would. I think I would take the team 
If my team was in playoff contention, contention, I'd lock them in a bubble. I know you don't want them to be away from your fam- their families during the holiday season, but, I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's the point now. You know, they've made it easier to where players could come back and if, they get it, if they've been vaccinated and they've had the negative test and they're asymptomatic and all that stuff, they can come back. But you're making it so hard on these teams. I mean, you, something really weird is going to happen in the next couple of weeks and it's going to last into the playoffs. I don't know what it is, but uh, I'll tell you this. It certainly makes handicapping quite tough. So the Saints have uh, changed. They were three-point favorites a week ago. They're three-point underdogs as of recording this. What's going to happen? I don't know. But I will say this. With the, the additions to the COVID list the past few days, the line hasn't really changed that much. So the lines makers still think the Saints have a decent shot, and you know what I do too. Um, I think the Saints have a really good chance to win tonight. Just because of what I said in the open, I think they're going to be uber-focused and ready to play, and they're going to come up with something, and I don't know what, and I have a really good feeling about how Ian Book's going to play. I don't have any feelings about the future. Don't call me an idiot or whatever it is, but I have a really good feeling that this kid could show something tonight. He's got moxie. He's a winner. We'll find out if he's a winner tonight. That's going to wrap up episode number 39. I want to thank Jim Rapier for joining us here on the program. Again, we will be back on Wednesday with hopefully Jeff Duncan. I know we'll have Conductor Dave and Uncle Big Nick uh, for our New Year's treat. It is a treat, boys and girls. One more show in the calendar year. It has been fun. It's hard to believe it's coming down to the end. I hope everyone enjoys the game tonight, and I hope we have a lot of good things to talk about on Wednesday. Enjoy, if you're, on, if you're on a little break, enjoy the break and enjoy those family members and give Grandma a kiss for me. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Peace and love, my friends.